good morning. Happy Mother's Day again. Yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, if you're a kiddo who's here uh, because you're you know, too old to go to a tent or whatever that might be, I just want you to know that you're really welcome here, that your presence here is a great, great thing. In fact, Jesus said over and over again, let the little children come to me. He said that repeatedly when other people thought that they were being really annoying. So if you're a kid, you probably get this sense every now and then that adults think that you're being too much. But Jesus kept saying, hey, come to me, come to me. Uh, And also, every time Jesus was teaching in front of a big crowd of people, there were children present. We know because Jesus kept referencing children type of stuff. We also know because at one point, a little kid, probably about one of your ages, maybe your age, Lucy, stood up and said, well, my mom packed me some, some fruit or some loaves and some fishes, and all the people were hungry, and maybe I can provide that gift to everyone. Which is pretty amazing, because this kid must have come to hear Jesus teach. Can you imagine hearing Jesus teach? And this kid must have decided, I'm going to do that even if my parents don't come with me. Uh, And then that child provided a gift that fed everyone. And so you, your presence, your gifts, all of that is just super valuable here in this church, Totally understand if you would rather go on a walk than listen to me because I am not Jesus. I don't take it offensively or anything like that. But you should just know that you're really, really welcome here. Uh, Today we're reading from Romans chapter 7, and we're going to read a whole bunch, so bear with me. Uh, It's Romans chapter 7, verse 7 to 25. And this is what it says. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would have not known what sin, had been, what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do... (laughs) 
I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. This is God's word. And nobody said it back. Thanks be to God. Yeah, anyway, if you're a Christian today, uh, if you believe in Jesus, that his death was for you, that his resurrection was for life for you and for all who believe, if you're that kind of person who says, I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life, here's the thing. Your story is incredible. You have the most amazing story to tell. Your life is the stuff of classic novels that I personally like to devour. But your life is also the stuff of those epic rock ballads that they used to write in the 80s where it would just be this long, huge thing about Mr. Roboto or something. Your life is also, if you're so lucky, if you're so inclined, your life is the stuff of like 20 seasons of The Crown. It's really that remarkable. And here's what your story is. You were once in need of rescue. You were once abandoned, alone. The only thing that came to you was more destruction and more things to twist and hurt and harm you. You were headed towards death. And then the wealthiest king, the creator of the universe, decided to, to enter into your story and your life, taking the very form of a peasant, came into, entered alongside your suffering and redeemed and restored you. He died the death that you were going to die. He saved you. His resurrection raised you into complete whole life. That's your story. That's the story of every Christian who's ever lived. But this is what makes your story better than those people who've already died, honestly. Your story isn't over. It's playing out right now. It's still happening. The gospel isn't just the power of God to save you once way back when, when you first believed. It's not the stuff of like an action hero who, who comes and saves the day and puts it all back together and then humanity just sort of goes on trying to, you know, not screw it up again. That's one of my favorite lines in Mr. Incredible, or The Incredibles is whenever he's like, can't you just keep the world saved? And he's all frustrated. You guys know what I'm talking about. That was a line just for you guys. The gospel is different than that. The gospel and the good news of Jesus is different than, oh, can't the world just stay saved? Because here's a phrase that I would love to see grip your minds and your hearts today. 
that your souls would actually understand this phrase. It's what Paul says when he says, thanks be to God who delivers me. If you're struggling, this phrase, this truth, should be everything for you. If you're battling mental health or disease or temptation, this is the truth. This is the power that you might have forgotten, that God delivers me. If you're stuck in the never-ending cycle of, I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do, this is the truth for your ears. God didn't deliver you just once way back in the day. Jesus delivers you today. He is still delivering you. The hardest part of learning any new language, and I know we're all linguistic you know, experts in here, but the hardest part about learning a new language is the verbs. I just want to let you know. Uh, counting to 10 is the easy stuff. Learning how to say hi, that's super easy. But learning the verbs, that's hard because that's where most meaning lies. It's the most important part of language. Some verbs are actions that took place in the past. We call those past tense, like he delivered. Some verbs are actions that will happen in the future. Pretty easy, future tense. He will deliver. But then some verbs are verbs that are happening on an ongoing basis right now. He delivers. This is the whole of what this message is all about. Uh, I guess at least in part because I'm going to preach on it all over again next week, so be prepared for that. But the fundamental message of this passage beneath everything else is this. We're all stuck in these patterns of sin. We're bogged down over and over again. And what is your hope? Your hope is Jesus delivers. The gospel isn't just good news that you have been saved from death. The gospel isn't just good news that one day you'll be saved from evil. The gospel is the good news that we are even now being saved by Jesus. It's not way back when. It's the power of God to keep saving. We're in a struggle in need of rescue. That's what you know, most of the words here are describing. And while we're not condemned to death, we still live in this ongoing struggle where we say in our heads and our minds, we might even say out loud, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then we do it again and again and again. We've been saved from the penalty and the power of sin, but we still struggle with its effects in our daily lives all the time. Uh, one of my favorite images is that of, of adoption, and I really loved Free Willy as a kid, and so this is basically the, the plot of Free Willy. But if you imagine a, a, an orphan child who's been running all on their own, seeking survival, uh, you know, sort of getting everything that they need, knowing that nobody's coming to help them, no one's looking out for their future or their present needs. And so that orphan, though, gets adopted by this wonderful family, this mom and this dad. They nurture him. They care for him. They bring him into their home. They show him the, his room. And like, your room is so awesome. Look, we gave everything for you. Here's your pillow with your name crocheted on it. You know, that kind of parent. 
They changed the portraits in the house. They changed their birth certificate name. Like it's a full-on wonderful adoption. And yet this child, though, who grew up so much in in an orphanage scrounging for himself says, yes, I'm glad to be part of this family, but I still don't know if I believe. Uh, Experts call this attachment, right? Our struggle as believers is with attachment to the Father, that we've been adopted into this gracious, wonderful family, the family of God, and yet day to day we still say, is this home really for me? Is this life really for me? And we continually go back to living as though we are orphans, even though we're children of God. That is the struggle. It's a big struggle. It's so much harder than just, ah, if only I could think really good. I wouldn't, you know, keep fighting with my wife. If I could just focus really hard, you know, I'll obey my parents. If I could do enough therapy, I'll stop lying. But what Paul's talking about here is just the deep, constant struggle. And the struggle is real, and he describes it this way. First, he says that the struggle is a perverting of good things, twisting good things, good commands. We see what's good. We we hear wonderful commands like love your neighbor or love one another. I mean, the Beatles loved that phrase, right? And yet, we can't walk in it because we twist it in on itself. Sin seizes, he says, every opportunity afforded by this commandment that's supposed to bring life, but instead it brings death. Uh, it's like the, the call to care for creation, that we're, we're created to be stewards of all that God made. And we might even hear that and say, that's good news. I want to live the life of someone who cares for all of creation. I'll do whatever it takes. Uh, my time living in Portland, I saw a whole bunch of people follow that commandment to the point of death for themselves. I had a neighbor who would spray weed killer on their yard in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, and it's raining there because he didn't want to bear the shame of everybody else seeing who he really was. Or neighbors who would go around and stick little sticky notes on your recycling bin saying, why is this so empty? You should be recycling more. Don't you care? Or even, and I'm a big fan of these, the Impossible Burger. I just, how did they do, I'm a fan of anything that says Impossible Blank. You know, like Lakers playoff odds, impossible. But the Impossible Burger, I don't know if you knew this, that meat and all that it takes to produce the Impossible Burger, it'd be so much better if you just ate a cow because of the amount of natural resources and fossil fuels and everything that goes into making that burger. But we want to do it. It's just a perfect example of how something good created to bring life actually produces more death and destruction because what we do with sin and what sin does is it seizes every opportunity to create death out of something that's supposed to be life. Same is true for the call to be a good family. I don't know if you've ever been, you know, manipulated and conjoled to, you know, call your mother on a single day. Oh, boo. Oh, that's me. Uh, Or the call to be on mission and to love our neighbors and to see justice and righteousness and restoration happen all over the world. 
And we say, that's a good thing. I want my life to be about loving the least of these and seeking justice and all of that until we turn it into a way of branding ourselves. And, and we're not even loving the poor and the vulnerable. We're just trying to self-actualize within us. We can take all of these good commands that Jesus gives us that we love and we twist them, we break them, we morph them into something to the point where Paul says the law and the command just reveals how utterly sinful these things are. You've been there with something when after years of commitment to it, after years of judging people for their lack of commitment to it, you sit back and you say, I guess it's just not the guarantee for transformation that I thought. And then you turn around and you judge other people be, for being committed to the same thing. That's how you know you've been in this struggle of perversion, twisting good things. He also says that the struggle is with unspiritual, an unspiritual mindset. We want to think of our lives and we want to think higher, have a bigger perspective, but we can't. We want to press into every day as if Jesus is reigning and Lord over all of it. We want to live this life where we say, Jesus can speak to us in every person that I interact with, that he's writing some miraculous story with all circumstances. Pandemics can come and fall. Uh, the financial markets can come up and go down. I can have a lot of money. I can have a little money. And we say we want to live a life in which all of it, through every circumstance, all we see is Jesus writing this amazing story. But we don't live that way at all. We don't wake up each day having this spiritual beyond sort of mindset of God's kingdom breaking in through each interaction that we have. No, what we do is we wake up each day and we think nobody is coming. No one is helping us. We're functional atheists. No one's concerned about me. No one cares what I'm doing. I'm forgotten. This world is all there is. I better make the best of it that I can. I better be happy as much as I can. I better survive as good as I can. We live in these sort of dual existence where we want to have spiritual lives, but we just don't think spiritually about God and the earth. And what ends up happening, if I could summarize Paul's verses from 14 to 20, is we live in this sort of false world, captured by it. Uh, I think of The Truman Show. Just heads up, all my movie references will be from the 90s today. Good decade. Who's the best? Man, Tombstone. Anyway, next week. In The Truman Show, there's this guy, for those of you born later, uh, who's trapped in this world where he, that's not real at all. Everyone around him is just an actor, and he's being played out of this reality TV show. That's what it's like when Paul's saying this struggle here, of that, that we exist spiritually. We exist as creatures of God, created by God, adopted into his family, yet we live in this whole alternate reality, and it traps us. The effects of sin in Paul's confession are true. I am unspiritual. Sin robs us of eyes to see the handiwork of God. Then he also says that the struggle is like voluntary captivity. He says that, that the law is making me a prisoner of sin at work within me. 
We're like people who've been ushered out of the prison and say, hey, go live a free life. And then we return to the prison. It's basically the plot of Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> where Morgan Freeman's character, Red, one of the greatest characters ever written. I just found out this week that it's a Stephen King novel. Maybe that could be information for you today. I was this many days old when I found that out. But uh, in the movie, because I haven't read it, Red is this character who's been living in prison so long that even when he's free and he's seen all of his other friends get sent out of jail, they can't handle the freedom because they've been so used to the captivity. He says this about the walls of the prison. He says, first you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes so that you depend on them. That's institutionalized. Sin makes, makes us long for the prison of death. We've stayed so long, we struggle to live in freedom. But this is the power of your story. This is the power of the rescue that's offered in Jesus. That phrase that I said in the beginning, you are being delivered by Jesus. How does he continually deliver you? Christ is with you, even when you ignore and say that it's not so. Just as Christ died for you before you were even born, Christ continues to fight sin and death on your behalf. He fights the battles that you don't even see, that you're not even recognizing. He's delivering you from the prison that you don't even know is there. He's conquering the spiritual death that you're unaware of entirely. Jesus builds your life. He raises your life. Jesus makes all of the twisted things whole. Thank you. There's a story of Jesus where he uh, encounters this man who has an arm that's been twisted and mangled. Uh, the word, the Greek word that's used is his arm has been perverted. That his arm was intended to function, but now it's been twisted and, and uh, probably some sort of terrible accident, and now it's all broken. It doesn't work as an arm anymore. And this is what Jesus says to this man when he's healing him. You know, sometimes he puts mud on people's eyes. That's really weird. Sometimes he touches them. Uh, all of these things. But what Jesus says to this person is, stretch out your hand. And as the man stretches out his hand, the perversion is gone and he's delivered from all of the brokenness. His hand begins to work. He's healed. The brokenness is made whole. And this is what Jesus does in your life. And I'm super confident in it. When we're trapped in sin, when we're twisting the commands of God to become death when there's supposed to be life, when we're living apart from the power of God, he doesn't come to us and say, chop it off. He doesn't come to us and say, wow, that's crazy. You took my command to love your enemy and you made it really bad. Guess, just stop trying to love your enemy. He doesn't come to you and say, oh, you think you're living in this world in which I don't exist. Okay, live in that world. Jesus doesn't settle for things that are twisted and broken. What he says to us is he says, stretch out your hand, I will make you whole. We're just like Paul, and we might say, 
Uh, and usually it's when uh, our sin has been put in front of us, you know, the consequences of it. Like, people are mad at us. That's, that's me. Uh, when a child yells at me and I realize that they're telling the truth, when my wife says, what's wrong with you? We might come to this moment of honesty where Paul says, I am a mess. I'm a disaster. Or in this cool biblical phrase, what a wretched man I am. And we might come to that moment when the struggle becomes very visible in front of us. And we might make that confession. But here is the power of God. Thank you, God. Jesus delivers me still. Jesus delivers me still. This is what it means to live in the power of resurrection together. That we would all, week by week, not be afraid to to acknowledge the fact that we continue to sin today that we did in the same ways years ago. But that we would come united together and say, I messed up all week. But thanks be to God for Christ, who even now delivers me from death. In our missional community life, as we live together, as we hurt one another, as we hurt one another in the same ways repeatedly, that we might come to one another and say, I am in a struggle, but Christ still delivers. Remember, we're adopted into the family of God. That our struggle is with the power that we don't see and that we don't acknowledge very often. We've been adopted, and it's incredible. And our struggle is with attachment. And what I would pray for us as a church is that we would see the Father who has brought us in and seated us at the table and that we would hear the Spirit speak to us over and over again, you are free, you are whole, I am with you. That we could hear the Spirit say, you are home. I am with you, I deliver you even now. That what would become normal for us is not a daily longing and seeing just our sin. I mean, I think we could just become just the most depressing group around where all we do is say, wow, I am such a sinner. I mean, we'll get into Paul's confession next week. It's pretty great. But if we fail to praise and thank God repeatedly as we hear the Spirit say, I deliver you even now, that's what I long to see us become. That's what it looks like to live the power of resurrection together. Not just experiencing the cross weekly, but experiencing the empty tomb that breaks all chains weekly.